Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Rob Basham. This morning I want to talk to you as we enter into this new year about a concept called beholding. I want to talk to you about the word behold because I think it's a really powerful word. It's a word that we don't use in our culture very much anymore, but it carries a lot of weight. To behold something means to experience, to perceive, to see, to understand. To behold something means that our senses are fully engaged and that we're able to intake something fully. In church, we get to behold the beauty of Christ. We get to behold the glory of Christ. But I think sometimes we forget that we have that invitation. We forget that we have that opportunity. There's these three words that I like to talk to my RTI students, our college here, Reach Training Institute. Every student hears me get on my soapbox and talk about these three words often. The words are behold, believe, and behave. And I think it's important that we talk about these three words and how they connect with one another because oftentimes we, the church, often skip the beholding piece and we begin to look on what it means to believe, what it means to behave. And we as a church want to talk about all three, but the problem is when we leave out the behold piece, we lose much. You see, the church is is pretty good. We're pretty good at at telling people how to believe, what to believe. We have our statements of faith, and, and we like to convince the world why they should believe this. We do a good job of telling our community how we think they should behave, how they should modify their behavior to look a little bit more like ours. In fact, the church is unfortunately quite famous for this. And that's not necessarily a a, a good thing. You see, when we start with belief rather than beholding, oftentimes we lose that ability to have our emotions stirred, authentic worship rise up. An old seminary professor once told me, the church loses its power when we simply try to convince people what to believe and tell them how they should behave. I think many of us are stuck in this myth that if we believe the right thing, if we don't doubt and we believe the right thing and we behave a certain way and with our own strength just get our behavior in check, then maybe we'll be some of the few lucky people that get to experience and behold the glory of God. But church, that's not the way it works. Believing and beholding are not, or belief and behavior are not prerequisites. Believing and behaving are simply the result of beholding Christ. It starts with that beholding, with experiencing his glory, his beauty, his power. I love the prophetic word from Zechariah 2. The Lord says, shout and rejoice, beautiful Jerusalem, for I am coming to live among you. God incarnate, God taking on bodily form, humanity taking on flesh. This idea of God incarnate is what we've been talking about for the past few weeks in this series. We've been talking about how because God became man, we are moved towards permanence and prominence, towards joy and place of true rest. 
Isaiah 9 has been our text for much of this series, and I want to draw our attention briefly to it. And it says in Isaiah 9.1, there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The land will be filled with glory, with his glory. Church, with the incarnation came the revelation of his glory, and this is what we get to behold. This conceptual form that was once worshipped in the tabernacle and in the temple gives way to a realized bodily form where we were able to see the glory of God. The light was shined upon creation, and it was magnificent. The glory was there. The incarnation allows us to expand how we worship, how we experience and intake Christ. Church, this is an important thing because many of us don't have that hunger that we just sang about. We don't have that thirst. We are a bit stagnant in our faith. We feel a bit stuck as we enter into the new year. Maybe you're here this morning and you're questioning, wondering, is there actually more? I hear there's more, but I want to experience it. Maybe you find yourself here today and you find your faith is more cognitive than it is experiential. I want you to know that this message was written to help awaken you, to awaken your senses to his glory and who he is. This message was written for me personally, an intellectual follower of Christ, so that I will learn in the new year to stop to pause and to behold and experience the glory of Christ. This morning, I want us to turn to John 1. John 1 is found on page 881 in the Bible in front of you in the pew rack. You can turn there if you want. You can go there on your phone, or you can just listen as I read John 1. John 1 is an incredible, incredible passage about God becoming man in the incarnation. I'll be reading verses 1 to 5 and then jumping down to verse 14. John 1 is this declaration that we now have access to the presence of God, access to his glory, because God took on flesh. John 1. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God and God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Verse 14. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. This is the word of the Lord. The word became flesh. The Greek word is logos. This declaration, this, this God is active in creation. He's active in redemption. He's active in revealing himself to us. Church, there is more for us as we behold the beauty of who Christ is. 
what he has done, what he continues to do. There is more for us to experience individually. There is more for us to experience collectively. I believe that as we begin with the starting point of beholding his beauty, of beholding his glory, it will transform us as a body. It is my hope today that that hunger will arise in us and among us as a church as we march into the new year. So how do we behold Christ's beauty and his glory? The first thing that I want to share with you is that we need to allow Christ to expand our senses, to recognize him, to receive him, to behold him. We need to expand our senses. I believe this is even more important in today's world, in today's context. A few years ago, I, I read this book by Michael Frost, a theologian called Incarnate, and he, it profoundly influenced me. He shares how human interaction is becoming defleshed. He brilliantly terms our culture. He says our culture is becoming an excarnate culture. Incarnation, incarnate, the taking on of flesh. Excarnate, the defleshing. It's a scientific term, but he applies it to our culture. Our culture is becoming more and more defleshed, less and less face interaction, less and less touch, less and less actual tangible experiences and expressions face to face. We see this happening in our culture. Brian shared it brilliantly last week when he put up this picture of this ramen restaurant, these new non-interactive restaurants that are popping up in major cities, these places where you literally go and don't have to talk to anyone. You sit in your cubicle, you order your food, the screen comes up, the food is pushed through, you don't have to see someone's face. You enjoy your meal by yourself while you're in your head. You pay your bill and you leave. It's an extreme example of how our culture is moving towards excarnation. But it's important because Frost points out in his book that this excarnate trend has also crept into the church. Faith has become a bit less tangible for many of us, a bit less face-to-face, more in the head and less in the doing. And not surprisingly, many of us feel a bit disengaged with our head. Discipleship has followed a similar path. Oftentimes, when we have a spiritual question, we quickly go to Google. We go to some blogs that were written about it. We find an author that has written about it. We look to God's word. And while that is all good and brilliant in technology and theology and the access that we have to incredible thinkers is great, we cannot reduce discipleship to simply an intellectual exercise. It must be expanded. It needs to be more. It needs to be tangible. It needs to be worked out. Our faith needs to be worked out in community. We need to wrestle with these questions face-to-face with other brothers and sisters. We need to persevere through suffering. We need to serve when we feel like we have nothing left. We need to gather corporately in worship when we're not sensing anything ourselves. It is that working out that's really important. If this seems a bit vague, let me explain with an analogy. I love to cook. Cooking is one of my favorite things to do. And and the way that I have learned to cook has has been in different ways. See, sometimes I cook in an excarnate way. That's when I'm lazy. And I simply walk into my kitchen, I see that I have a couple of ingredients, and I go, Alexa, bring up a recipe for chicken and cashews. And all of a sudden, Alexa says, I have found four recipes for chicken and cashews. And on the little screen above the microwave appears a recipe. And I began to attempt to throw stuff together the way I think is written on this piece of paper. It becomes an intellectual thing that I try to just figure out. That's one way that I'll cook. Another way that I've learned to cook is a lot more incarnate. You see, living in the Middle East for, for a couple of years in Jordan, I learned to cook this dish. This is called mensif. 
This is the traditional dish of Jordan. No true Jordanian has ever written down the recipe for mensef. That is not allowed. You learn to cook mensef when someone that you know well invites you into their kitchen. And it is an honor to be able to learn how they cook, to see, to experience it with all of your senses. It is not written down. You smell when the almonds are at the proper temperature and have roasted to the right thing. You know the texture of what the yogurt should look like, what the rice should be like. You have to understand how long to roast that lamb before it is mixed in with the yogurt sauce. It is a full experience thing. It involves taste and touch and smell. You continue to taste and add salt and taste some more. It's never written down. It's an incarnational experience. It is face to face. It is tangible. You touch it. And likewise, we need to grow in discipleship. We need to grow in our faith by experiencing, by learning with our hands as well as our minds, our senses, all of our senses fully engaged as we behold him. And we need to ask the question, church, have we fallen in love with intellect? Have we fallen in love with knowing about God instead of knowing God? James K.A. Smith is a, a philosopher and a theologian out of Michigan, and he writes this. He says, we are first and foremost loving, desiring, effective, liturgical animals for the most part. We don't inhabit the world as thinkers or cognitive machines. We pray before we believe. We worship before we know. In fact, we worship in order to know. Church, I believe he is right. I believe that we are emotional creatures. We are living. We are not machine-like. We are not toasters who, who need to just be fixed in a certain way. There's no, no way that your questions are going to be answered perfectly. You are a living, feeling person. You are a creature. And the good news is that we're blessed because, church, we're invited to behold and experience something that is transcendent. It is powerful. It is beautiful. It is full of love. It is beyond just the intellect. The intellect itself cannot intake the glory of who God is. This is the gift that we receive in grace. Scripture is full of this kind of imagery. Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Oftentimes, our desire for God in Scripture, it, it's described as meat. It's described as water that will leave you never thirsting again. It's described as milk. It is a very intimate, sensual-type desire. And the invitation today in this new year is to expand the forms of how we taste and see the glory of God, how we behold Christ, how we notice and intake his beauty and love in his presence. David was a master of this, which is why I think he was a man after God's own heart. Often he would just write these poems of how he longed to see the face of God. Creation is one of the ways that God expresses his beauty and is there for us to behold. Psalm 19 says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth in their words to all the world. Church's glory has been revealed. And it is beautiful. Creation reflects this with seeable, tasteable, touchable, hearable, and smellable reflections of his glory and beauty. 
I was on a walk in Salem a few weeks ago with a good friend, and we were kind of near Bush Park, and we came around this corner, and between these two trees was this giant spider web. It was like from here to the cross. It was massive. And we both stopped in our tracks because the way the light hit it, you could see the entire thing. And we stopped, and for probably five minutes, we simply worshipped. We looked at the intricacy of this little insect that was making this amazing web, how it was just weaving this thing. And we talked about the beauty of this thing, how God created this animal to be able to do this, how this is how it would catch its sustenance, how it would sustain itself, and it was worshipful. The word gave life to everything that was created. Have you allowed yourself to intake those surprising moments of worship? When my wife was studying for her master's, she did her master's in exercise science and physiology, and it was a lot of the human body and nutrition, and and it became this incredibly worshipful experience that the entire family got dragged into. Oftentimes, dinner would involve her getting a textbook out and putting out these pictures of the muscular system. And she would explain to us this. It was totally worship to her how amazing God is, the way he crafted this muscle to work with this muscle and this tendon and the way it attaches to this bone. And look, look, do this. Isn't this amazing? And the whole experience just became this incredibly worshipful thing, showing the glory of Christ in his creative process. Where have you seen God in the unfamiliar yet familiar? Church, we are more than just thinking beings. We have been crafted to experience life through our senses, through our guts, through our eyes, through touch, through our bodies. We move, we dance, we posture ourselves, we experience, we taste, we create, we smell. My kids had the privilege of growing up in the Middle East, and oftentimes we would go to these ancient churches when we would travel to different cities, and often in these ancient churches they would burn frankincense, and that aroma would fill these buildings. And for a time when they were young, we attended this little Anglican church, and often part of the liturgy, the weekly liturgy, is the burning of frankincense, and that smell became familiar to them. And and we brought some frankincense back to the States with us, and, and we had been living in Salem for about a year, and my wife and I were in the living room on this one day, and we brought out some frankincense, we were burning it, and it was just creating these memories in our minds and stuff. And all of a sudden, my youngest son just comes flying through the door. He had been playing out on the street with his friends, comes flying in the door, two steps in the door, he just stops, and he goes, it smells like Jesus. (laughs) It was this beautiful moment. Christ, awaken our senses to your beauty. Church, as we enter this new year, be open to him surprising you. Be open to the unusual ways that he wants to reveal his glory and beauty to you and the familiar. Posture yourself to receive. Make room. Take those pauses. Give yourself the freedom to take the pauses to intake the glory of God. I believe that fresh revelation and experience awaits you in the new year. And as we behold his glory and make that our starting place, not belief, not behavior modification, belief and behavior and behavior will come out of it. It will become worshipful and it will become an honor to do what pleases God. As we behold his glory, understand that that will be attractive to those around you. They will see you beholding this beauty, experiencing it, and they'll say, I want what you have. 
I've been going through a, a modern adaptation of the Book of Common Prayer the last few months, and, and on Christmas morning, this was the prayer that I, that I read. O word, now wrapped in human skin, speak peace on earth through us, your children. O word, now wrapped in human skin, speak peace on earth through us, your children. May it be so. Church, we carry Christ with us wherever we go. We behold him and we carry him with us wherever we step. We carry the beauty of Christ with us, pointing others towards him. We carry the peace of Christ as we walk into broken places in our community and we serve. We embody tangibly this gospel to those who need it. We take on flesh in our neighborhoods. We demonstrate and speak of his grace. We rest well and we invite those who are weary into our rest. We release the joy that he has given to us, to those around, and we celebrate and we experience life in community. We don't sit back and simply explain and attempt to convince our world to believe and behave a certain way. We teach our world. We invite them to behold his glory with us. I love what it says in Colossians 1. Colossians 1. I mistakenly put Colossians 2, but if you're looking for this, there's not 26 verses in Colossians 2. (laughs) Colossians 1 says, This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you the assurance of sharing his glory. So what does it mean to take on flesh in our neighborhoods, in our city? I'll let you figure that out. There needs to be incredible creativity in the releasing of this. But let me share you two ways that I've experienced it and I've attempted to practice it in my own life. The first is belongingness. You see, when I moved to Boston after graduating college, my wife and I, we got married right after graduation and we moved to this new city. We knew no one in the city of Boston. We were just like many of the people in their 20s and early 30s are today. We were people that were not looking to put down roots. We were looking to experience life. We were grazers. We were, wanted to check this out and check this out and check this out. And we went to Boston with that intention. But we quickly realized that we longed for belongingness. And luckily, we discovered this incredible couple that lived just up the hill from us, Jeff and Ellen Bass. Jeff and Ellen Bass were rooted people. They were followers of Christ, and they had lived in this community and served this community and and just brought community together for years. And they invited us into their home. We would have brunch and dinner with them. We would stay late and play games. They would invite other people from the community in. And suddenly, we found ourselves in a place of belonging. It was their presence that made it a lot easier for us to put down some roots, and we ended up staying in that city a lot longer than we ever intended. Church, what would it look like for us if we provided places for those who are grazing? If we opened our homes for monthly dinner and games or found a cafe in our neighborhood that we just started to get community together, started book clubs, started different community building things, opened gym nights, whatever that might be, but we helped people find belonging helping those people who say they don't want it but so desperately do to find that community, to help them put down roots, to allow them to come and serve with you. 
A second way that we can incarnate Christ is to study God's word, but also get our hands dirty, to embody the message in the community. The old hymn doesn't go, they will know we are Christians by our intellect. Church, it's they will know we are Christians by our love. It is tangible. It is real. It is experience. It involves interaction. What might balance look like in our lives? There was a season where Jess and I had been leading a a small group in our home for about a year. We had a group of probably about 12 of us that would gather. Every single week in our little apartment, we would gather. We would have dinner. We would pray for one another. We would open God's word. We would stay late, play games, interact. We had a lot of fun. But we began to stagnate a bit in our faith, in our growing, in our development. And my wife said, you know what we need to do? We need to stop meeting once a month and we need to start serving our community together. And so we found a little nonprofit called the Home for Little Wanderers. And we started to volunteer at this incredible nonprofit. And once a month we would go. And the staff would have a little relief from the kids. And they would go into the kitchen and they would cook a big meal that we would get to eat with the staff and the kids. But... Cooking a meal was a whole lot better than hanging with the kids that they had been with all day. And so we gave them that break, and we would go and spend time with the kids. And then we would serve the staff, and we would go, and we would hear what their lives were like. And we simply were there to serve. And it reignited something in that group. As we served together, our faith began to grow, and God began to move. And we began to see his glory and his beauty in these kids, in this staff, and in one another in new and fresh ways. What might it look like to add service and volunteerism to our intellectual faith journey? What would happen to our city if we had spent as much time serving as we did weekly studying God's word? Michael Frost has this quote that I want to share with you. He says, what the world so desperately needs are incarnational servants of Christ to wade into the muck and the stench of this world and to partner with the locals as broken as we all are in helping to shape human society as God intended it to be. Church, I know many of you do that well, but there are many of us that need to further engage. I was talking to a friend earlier this week, a younger guy, and he made this comment about his generation, the generation that's in their 20s and early 30s. He said, if we acted and practiced our faith, I think most of our issues about faith would disappear. If we acted and practiced our faith, I think most of our issues about faith would disappear. In church, I think he's right. And so in this new year, may we carry Christ with us. May we invite others to behold his beauty, his glory, and his power. May we walk this new year knowing that God is at work everywhere that we step. May we live like that, knowing that he longs to reveal his glory to us in creative and sometimes in surprising ways. May you enter the new year tasting and seeing that he is good. May fresh discovery happen to you, to the community that you serve. May fresh discovery happen as you open God's word. May it lead you to him. And may your senses be filled. May art and music and smells, food and nature lead you to deeper levels of worship. May we as a church grow collectively in this, becoming more rooted, more embodied, actionable people in our city. May this city see his glory and experience his beauty in tangible ways in 2020. As we respond in worship today, 
I want us to engage our senses in some unique ways. And so before we enter into more familiar forms of worship, we're going to take a few minutes to intake beauty, to intake glory in a bit different way. We're going to pause. We're going to listen. We're going to watch. We're going to feel. We're going to smell. Travis is going to be playing for us. Bach, cello, suite three, the prelude. Would you allow God's glory to be revealed to you through his ability, his hard work, his gifting, and his passion? At the same time, we're going to project up on the screen some visual art, some paintings, some more familiar than others. Also, if you haven't noticed yet, the subtle aroma of frankincense, as we have been burning frankincense in this room. Will you let that settle in? And may your senses be engaged And as they are, may you behold the glory of Christ in a fresh and powerful way this morning. Amen.
Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.